Welcome to Digging Up Ag Podcast. Through sharing research-based information from the University of Kentucky, our goal is to help you successfully enrich your farming enterprise while cultivating knowledge and expertise in agriculture. Now, here's your host. Hello, everyone. This is Adam Huber. Welcome to Digging Up Ag Podcast. I'm the Agriculture Natural Resources Agent here in Allen County, Kentucky, along with Mr. Adam Estes. He's the A&R agent in Hart County. And Kevin ain't playing hooky on us this week. Kevin Lyons from Monroe <laughs> County is back with, back to join us. Kevin, it's good to have you back today. Uh, uh, it's good to be back. It's like uh, Will Rogers, I think, said it's good to it's just good to be seen sometimes. So uh, that's right. Glad, that's glad, right. <laughs> glad to be back with y'all. Appreciate you covering for me. Yeah, no, no problem at all. We didn't make fun of you at all or say anything bad about you at all <laughs> while you were out last week. So don't even have to worry about that. Good deal. I'm going to take you at your word. Just might not have to go back and listen to those episodes. Yeah, just don't listen to last week's podcast and you're good. Uh, Uh, You're you're probably right. I I probably deserved every bit of what I I got. No, we, we had a good, a good 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 podcast last week. We got to or the two weeks ago when we had, we had Chris uh, Shock with us, and he did a, a wonderful job. Of course, Chris is a radio man himself, so it was uh, just uh, like nature to him. So it was we appreciate oh, yeah. Chris joining us last time for sure. He he's semi pro on that stuff. He's a great great one. That's right. That's right. Well, we got a lot of stuff that we want to talk about um, this morning or today, and uh, of course. Uh, you know, we are still in October, the end of October, really. Um, today, we are recording this on October the 25th, and you will probably be listening to this around the uh, the 30th or, or so of, of October when we will we'll release this. But um, we're getting into the cooler months of the year, and I really enjoy it. Um, we got a cold front coming in next week going to be like this weekend i think it's probably going to be the last weekend of hot weather hopefully it's going to be like 80 on saturday um and of course you know like i said we're here in the end of october um but then on tuesday we got a big cold front coming through and the high is going to be in uh like uh, 48 or 50 i believe and down into low 30s as low so that is my kind of weather for sure autumn's going to fall out of it ain't it that's right. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah, right. I'm I'm like you, uh, Huber. I'm built for cool weather. So this this about, a lot of people love spring and I love spring, but I always kind of look forward to fall, even though you know winter's coming right behind it. It's just uh, yeah, like it's it's my my time of year for sure. And the weather, or not the weather, the the time goes back on uh, Sunday the fifth, so we get an extra hour of sleep. I think is that right? Yeah, yeah, fall we get back. yeah, if we fall, fall back, so we, back. Yeah, so yeah. we get a extra hour of sleep. Um, so yeah, it's it's good for sure. Um, I, I like this time of year too, but I, I don't know the time change always gets to me. I you rush into the afternoon after leaving work, and time I get my feet and done, it's it's dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the only thing I don't like about the time changes. Just like you said, like whenever I leave my office here at four thirty, it's starting to get it's pretty much getting dark and then by the time i get to glasgow which is you know 25 30 minute drive it's completely dark and then i gotta drive the rest, rest of the way uh in in the nighttime but that's just part of it but it does get daylight earlier so there's that makes that's it true. safer for the kids of the morning getting on the bus and, and all those things but yeah getting getting dark so early uh, it's just kind of 
seemed like you kind of get the wintertime blues occasionally on, on some yeah. of that, just lack of sunlight. <laughs> and I think there's something to that based on just science and research. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I always dread winter a little bit more and more every year. But it's good to have that change in the seasons and good to uh, have a little variety. I, I kind of like where we're at here in Kentucky. We get a little bit of everything, and I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. And, you know, there was something that went through Congress, and I don't think it has passed yet, where they were talking about actually stopping the time change. Um, I know that went through, or they were talking about it, I think, you know, last year, but I don't think that they either haven't voted on that yet or it hasn't went through something or another. Uh, but I think they're talking about for maybe next year doing away with the time change. I don't know if y'all have heard that or not, but that's a thing that's went through the, the legislative. Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, in the Kentucky General Assembly, they've been talking about that for quite a while, and I think they may have passed a bill supporting the national movement, but right. I, I, I kind of tend to agree with them. I wish they would kind of find a, a common middle ground and, and leave it, because it is a little bit of a, I don't know if hassle's the right word, it just takes a lot of adjustment. and uh, Right. I, I wish we could just set it and go. And, you know, we, of course, we all were at a meeting yesterday at the R&R update. And it's funny, uh, there's so like half the state of Kentucky's on Eastern time and half the state's on Central time. And somebody there, I heard them over talking, they were like, well, I wish we were all just on the same time. So, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, especially like those people that are right on the line. Like I know one guy said that, He's like right on the line and he can eat breakfast on central time and go to bed on Eastern time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. If you want to get uh Greg Drake riled up, just start talking fast time and slow time and he, he, he'll get, he'll get his dander up real quick. He, <laughs> right. he, he's not a fan right. of going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Right. For sure. Um, uh, so, so that's just, I know that before we, uh, started you were talking about you had a program coming up that uh i think is really interesting and will definitely help some of our our beef producers uh, especially those that are you know uh keeping heifers you know after they're uh you know you got a a good crop of of heifers as far as selecting those um talk a little bit about the program you've got coming up and, and kind of when that is and 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 the, the details of that so on, as Adam said, I mean we're getting into a time of year where a lot, a lot of these spring calves are uh, are either being weaned or fixing to be weaned, uh, and go through whatever kind of background and program they're they're going to go through. But uh, on November seventh, uh, here at our office in Hart County at five thirty Central Time, focus on that Central Time. Yeah, Central Time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to have a, a class on or a, yeah a meeting on the basics of heifer selection. So I've got Kevin Laurent, which is the beef extension specialist from Princeton. He's going to come out and he's going to talk about visual appraisal of heifers, uh, you know, knowing what to look for when selecting replacements from a visual standpoint. Um, you know, we'll talk about feet and legs and a lot of different things there, but, uh, but Kevin will do a great job with it. I know. Uh, and as we've talked about in the past, you know, we are just finishing up our CAPE application process here in Hart County and for anybody that that has been approved or going to be approved, uh, I don't know if they've got letters yet or not, but um, this will qualify as a CAPE educational uh, component. So uh, it should be a good program. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, like I said, I think Kevin will do a fantastic job. We are asking people that if they do want to come, 
to call our office. It's 270-524-2451 just to let us know you're coming. You know, we don't have a very big meeting room. So, you know, we kind of like to have an idea of how many we got. So, Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a, a good program for sure. And you're talking about <clears throat> RSVP and I always like to have them RSVP just it doesn't matter if you're feeding, you know, supper or whatever. It's always a good idea to have, you know, an idea of who all is coming, you know, because, yep. uh, because honestly, uh, you know, I've set up, you know, meetings before um, and not had, you know, the RSVP. This is where I learned my lesson <laughs> and not even have anybody show up. <laughs> so yeah. You get all your stuff prepped and all that kind of stuff. And then if you don't have anybody come, you know, that just kind of, you've wasted your time, you know, doing the things necessary to prepare. Um, when you know if you would have known beforehand that nobody you know had signed up for whatever the program was you would be you know better utilizing your time elsewhere but yeah that and a lot of times we've got speakers coming from you know could be a couple hours away right right Mm -hmm. yeah i learned a same lesson you learned uh, adam uh when i'd been working about a probably a year and it's hard to get specialists to come uh, down to Monroe County from Lexington for sure. Now it was then too, but um, we had a vet, you know, lots of folks saying we need a vegetable production meeting, need vegetable production meeting. So put that all together, <laughs> one person. And yep. uh, so it was, <laughs> yep. you need to need the RSVP if possible, because I could have saved that specialist a lot of trouble <laughs> oh, coming yeah. all the way down here. And he, he wasn't too happy. He wasn't mad, but disappointed both of us well it's one and it's one thing whenever it's if you were the one doing the speaking like you know yeah you're not happy because you know nobody showed up but Mm -hmm. you got somebody else is you know that that is involved like a specialist that's you know coming an hour and a half to your county to to provide a program and nobody comes then that (laughs) kind of both ways makes you you a little bit "Eh." Yeah, it it, it puts a little bit of egg on on my face on that one, but you live and learn. (laughs) That's right. And we we, we're all going to have programs that, you know, that we prepare and do things for that nobody's going to necessarily show up. And maybe not Mm -hmm. because it's not, you know, not necessarily because it's not interesting, but, you know, folks are busy, you know, and yeah. And that's one thing like with in today's society and today's technology, technological world. I guess that's, that's easy for you to say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. But people can get, you know, information from a lot of different sources, you know, cause like used to back in, in, you know, the day, you know, they had to come to the County office to get information cause there wasn't an internet with YouTube and all these access to publications and things like that, you know? So uh, it makes our job a little bit more challenging now where we have to offer you know, things different in different formats, you know, like, we, like I just mentioned, we're doing YouTube videos, which we do some of our programming on that. Of course, this podcast, radio, you know, a lot of different stuff. So it's just, it's harder to get folks to come into the office for programs, but the ones that you do get are, you know, they're really invested in, you know, wanting to learn to, you know, help whatever, you know, help their operation, you know, succeed. So I guess that was a little, little tangent there, but <laughs> you feel better. Just, just making sure you were done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preach. <laughs> you feel better. Yeah, so, yeah. so the key takeaway is come to our county offices to our programs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. No, but anyway, I, I, I amen everything you're saying. It's just right, it makes right. it difficult. Right, it difficult. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we left you kind of out there on a limb. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it's crickets, crickets, crickets. <laughs> no, you're good. So one other thing that we were, uh, of course, like I said, you know, we're we're in fall. Obviously, I've said that multiple times. But the fall time of the year is really important. Um, for agriculture in many ways uh, and one would be uh, doing like fall soil sampling and thinking about maybe depending on what your crop is like doing some fall fertilizations you know depending on what you're growing in the spring you know to kind of prepare for you know that next year's crop um, I know uh, you know like say you know fall soil sampling is, is something that we you know definitely which and I get this question a lot is like what time of year is the best to do soil samples? And really, you know, any time of year is, is good to do a soil sample. But, you know, you definitely want to make sure that you are sampling well in advance before you, you know, put in a crop, right? So, uh, SS, I know that, you know, you kind of brought this uh, this topic up. As far as fall soil sampling, what do you kind of, what kind of guidance do you give folks on, on whether to fall soil sample or spring or kind of what do you what's your kind of well it's kind of like what you mentioned i mean any time is better than not doing it at all let's just be honest but um you know we, we can make a whole list of of reasons why to try to get out there in the fall one is like you said you know if you're if you're going to pl plant a crop you know next year in a field then you know you get out there and sample now if you need a ph adjustment you know, that, that lime could take several months to activate. So, you know, if you get that sample now and you realize you need some lime, you can get out there in the next little bit with some lime, and hopefully by the time you get your crop out, it's activated and ready to go. Uh, you know, certain nutrients are, are not uh, a bad idea to get out in the fall. One I'll, I'll mention is potassium. I mean, you think of, for instance, crops like alfalfa or, or you know, high-production hay crops, orchard grass, timothy, whatever, um, you know, it might not be a bad idea to get out with some potash this fall. You know, that could, especially in alfalfa, could help with winter hardiness. Uh, and it's like I mentioned earlier with the lime, it's it's in the soil profile and it's ready to go in the spring when things start greening up. And, you know, uh, you could also look into, I know, uh, Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, there's some research with UK that talks about maybe some, uh, in, in a lawn scenario, on some fall nitrogen applications, like between that Thanksgiving Christmas time frame, that has showed to, to be effective. Yes, absolutely. Uh, both the lawn and the and the ag production uh, crops are uh, can benefit from uh, fall soil testing and uh, related fertilizer applications. Uh, the thing I like about fall soil testing, and it doesn't really matter if you do it in the spring or the fall you just need to do it at the same time every year if you if you start collecting soil samples in the spring do that field if you're going to keep uh, collecting soil samples always do that field in the spring if you got fields you're going to sample in the fall just kind of always do them in the fall it gives you a much more accurate uh, reading and uh, recommendation on what you're going to be doing a couple of things on on the, that I also like about the fall soil testing and following up with the uh, fertilizer uh, applications, you know, that fertilizer bill gets pretty steep in the spring if you're going to be putting on nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium. So lots of folks 
like to put the phosphorus and potassium on uh, in the fall. They're very stable in the soil. They're not going to leach out in the groundwater and they're not going to vaporize into the air like the nitrogen does. So you can split that application. You could, you know, once you get rolling and figure out what you're needing and get on a regular soil testing uh, routine, uh, the fall is you usually got more time to do it in the fall. Uh, it can be lessen the hit to your pocketbook and cash flow in, in that year. And, you know, it's going to be there. It's just like you said, uh, it's just it's going to be ready to go. You always have to put your nitrogen on because uh, on a timely basis before you plan or whatever, because, you know, it's going to be around 60 to 90 days. The nitrogen's going to be in that soil. Uh, it's either going to get taken up by the plant or it's going to go out through the groundwater or it's going <clears> to <throat> volatize into the air during that 60 to 90 day period. So you really can't put nitrogen on in the fall and expect it to be there in the spring. Uh, but that's uh, uh, pretty good little management practices there to kind of help even out that cash flow. And and definitely on the lawn, uh, you don't want to put nitrogen on your lawn in the spring unless you want to mow it every three or four days. Uh, but it does help that root growth uh, and helps that winter hardness of your lawn. And uh, so if you want to put some uh, fertilizer on in the in the late fall, now would be a great time because you're going to wind up that mowing season and it helps carry your, your lawn uh, through the winter for sure and makes it look a lot better in the springtime. I think one thing too that, um, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, Kevin, was a lot of times, I mean, this is not always the case, but a lot of times, you know, we may see a price advantage, you know, yeah. on some fertilizers in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing, <laughs> if you've got to, uh, if, you, if you're, for instance, using the fertilized buggies that a lot of these uh, companies have, you know, they probably won't be as busy in the fall typically as they are in the spring. You may not have to wait as long to get one or to pick one up. Uh, you know, those are a few things we, a lot of times we don't think about. But. Yeah, we've got just a little more time, seems like, in the fall after a harvest is is done or, or hay, uh, hay production is done, whatever the case might be. Uh, but it's also, uh, that kind of leads to what we talked about a little bit uh, on weed control. Uh, we had cattlemen's meeting last month, and I kind of uh, went over some things on uh, broadleaf weed management and, and grass, hay, and pastures. That's what the focus was. It really wasn't alfalfa or any kind of legume, but that, those guys typically, that's what they'll have. So, uh, but fall is a great time to to also look at your weed control and uh, you know buttercup is always a problem seems like and we went over some things that are we kind of seeing creep up uh, you know you can spray in the fall uh, right now is a good time for get buttercup chickweed that all that stuff's out there it's just small uh, but it sometimes in the spring the weather's a little bit tougher to get on that field or time's pushing you to you know spread your fertilize and you want to reseed and you want to do all these things you don't really might not take the time to spray until you see that beautiful yellow colored field out there or (laughs) those type things and we're all in the same boat i'm guilty of it as well and i'm speaking from experience and not pointing fingers but uh, i'm the same way but you know that's just some things to consider that you can be doing right now that will help improve your pastor's soil testing fertilized application and some herbicide weed control because buttercup's not going away unless you can't, you can't 
eradicate it. You can kind of just manage it, and you might get by a year or two, but it's going to be back. Uh, but the fall is a good time, and I, I told told the group last week, you know, if you've never done it, just try it. Try it out on 15 or 20 acres. You don't have to do your whole farm and see what a difference it that you can see in the spring. Uh, but we've got several folks that are kind of getting behind on that. I would see a lot of poison hemlock is one we touched on. Pigweed and uh, broom sedge is kind of, it seems like it's just exploded around here in the last couple of years. And I think a lot of that goes back to the fertilizer that we talked about. Got high, people put out nitrogen and didn't put out any phosphorus and potassium. And kind of the old theory, you know, is sedge is caused by low pH. Well, that, that's true to an extent, but that's not the only factor. If your phosphorus gets a little below, and particularly your potassium, your pH can be good. And if you're really low on those, you're still going to see some sedge. So that's just kind of a little management uh, reminder there to eventually pay the price for cutting back on that uh, phosphorus and potassium. And we all do it, but it's, you know, it's starting to show up, I think, uh, after so many years of high fertilized prices it's starting to starting to show itself yeah i agree with everything that you just said and to the to the buttercup point every year every spring um you know i, I always get the call once they start seeing the yellow buttercup in the fields when they call and they want to do something about it when really like you said right now is when they need to be taking care of that you know yeah um it, once the yellow flowers out it's really too late too late right and yeah yeah absolutely the damage is done. yeah the, the damage is done you might as well just let it die off itself you know because there's really not anything that you can do um depending on how you, you know can, you can bush all get make it look better but right <laughs> if you can stand it to wait a month it's going to die and be gone anyway and you won't mm -hmm. have all that expensive bush hogging it but that's the that's the trick to buttercup and chickweed those are all you know like winter annuals and that's their cycle uh but once you see them flowering, they've done kind of got the seed set and too far along to really do it as far as chemical control. Right. I like and, our specialist. Uh, one of the specialists said yesterday was, uh, I think he was talking about dandelion in lawns. He said, you know, it's out there now. We just mm -hmm. got to look for it, but it's mm -hmm. out there. Yeah. And unfortunately, nobody thinks about it until they start seeing them in the yard. That's the same thing yeah. with buttercup, you know. Yeah, it's much easier to kill because typically this in the fall to me, because typically the grass is shorter, you're going to get better coverage onto the weed because all your chemicals not landing on the grass. You got a better chance of success, I think, when the grass is shorter. And in springtime, we all know it it starts at a flush growth and it gets away from us pretty quickly. And you know, we talk we talk a lot about like cool season forages and and different things like that. Well, these these weeds that we're talking about, they're cool season weeds, meaning that they grow their growing growth period is during the cooler months of the year, you know? And so, you know, you just have to be mindful of, you know, the weeds that you're kind of dealing with, you know, obviously, um, and know when that, because timing is everything with, with application of, you know, chemical application, mm -hmm. um, especially herbicide. Um, and so you have to know, you know, that, that window that you've got for spraying and you have to know, you know, what weed it is that you're actually dealing with. And that, you know, there's a lot that goes into it and that you have to kind of think about and process before you actually, you know, go out and do this stuff. Um, but it, it all comes down to management really. I mean, that's just, you know, if yeah. there's a lot of good 
farm managers out there, but there's also a lot of folks that are slacking a little bit. Um, and you can, and you can tell it, you know, just by driving down the road, like who really takes care, you know, and maintains their, their farms, you know, the way that they should be. Um, which we all know everybody gets busy and, and things slip behind and weather plays a big factor too, but you know, you really got to stay on, on top of things just, just because, you know, it's very easy to, to let something slip for one year and then the next year you've got a whole big disaster waiting on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like I said, you're going to pay the price eventually and I'm going to pay the price eventually. And yeah. it's, uh, it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, UK has got a lot of good resources on their Forges webpage. We've got publications in the office. And if you're not familiar with the University of Kentucky Forges webpage, you can internet search for that type that in it'll bring it up probably the first thing and all kinds of information if you're if you like to do things on the on the internet and through your computer your phone uh, but if you don't we've got hard copies in the office but uh, we passed out several last week uh, i think maybe four different ones some of them folks in that you could tell they'd never seen them before and that's that's okay uh, but the you know the old standard the publication that we've got on uh herbicide applications in grass pastures and hay fields this all the chemicals they've updated it uh what they are but i like what you said uh huber you got to know what weed you're fighting and know what works against it and it's got some really good charts in there mm-hmm. uh that you know you identify your weed and pick out what works best on it because all chemicals don't work well on all weeds and if you're going to go to the time and expense of pulling over that field uh, at least at least have the right ammunition in your in your tank another thing i just wanted to say real quickly i, I made this point you know uh if, if somebody calls and say and they say uh don't you think it'd be okay if and whatever comes after that they've already kind of made their mind up that's yeah. what they're going to do they just want you they to tell them it's okay <laughs> they want you to validate it and yeah. a lot of times it's don't you think i'd be okay just using a, a pint instead of two pints mm-hmm. well it, it's like the commas it depends uh it depends on the stage of growth it just and depends on how much of it you've got uh but just for a few dollars more all your other costs are the same your your time for driving over the field uh your equipment costs all that's the same whether you put in a pint or two pints and usually the difference in that chemical is not very much so uh that just kind of uh i on the farm we used to do that too quite a bit but in the long run if you put up that full full higher rate that's on the label you'll be a lot happier than if you try to save two bucks an acre and you still got the weed problem yeah absolutely and you were mentioning some publications or the 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 one specific publication that you're talking about is agr 207 it's called broadleaf weeds in kentucky pastures and i really like this publication because it gives you on the front of the publication it gives you a lot of pictures of a lot of the common uh, weeds that we deal with in our pastures and on the back of it, like you said, mm-hmm. it's got all those listed plus uh, various other weeds that are listed. And it tells you the time of year that you need to spray it, that the product, you know, it's got a list of products at the top in columns and it tells you if it's good, bad, you know, great, whatever. And mm-hmm. so that publication, like I said, AGR 207 is a wonderful, public- I've actually got it taped to my desk right here um that i keep for reference you know for whenever folks call um and it's always good to have that on hand 
Um, but one thing I do want to talk about that you all mentioned or that we'd mentioned just a little bit was about, and this goes back to soil, uh, or, um, uh, soil sampling, but also more specifically with our lime products. So back in 2021, um, I believe it was 2021, I worked on a research project with Dr. Edwin Ritchie and he did this project with some other counties across the state. Um, I believe there was 12 locations. And what we looked at in this research project was the difference between liquid calcium liming agents, pelletized lime, and agriculture lime. Because there's, there's, back a couple of years ago, there was this big thing that everybody was into saying that, oh, you got to use liquid calcium. That, that's a, you know, that'll, work faster is work better you got to use as much this and that and so we wanted to do a research project on this to see actually how that affects our soil uh, ph level and so i just want to go over the results that we got from this so this this was a one year a 12 month project okay so in our project we had uh, a check which is basically means that we didn't do anything at all to our um our soil and we had these in blocks these were all in blocks and they were repetitive three times okay so we had a check we had liquid calcium we had pelletized lime and ag lime so from our starting ph this was actually a really good field to try this on our starting starting ph uh in our check was a 5.2 which is you know that's not not uncommon to see you know here in kentucky is a 5.2 ph um yes sir at the end of that 12 months the ph was 5.1 so basically no change um our liquid calcium was starting at 5.2 at the end of the research at the end of the 12 months our ph level was 4.98 so basically no change Okay, that's your liquid calcium. That's the products that they say spray on your, you know, pa- on your pastures to increase your soil pH. Okay, pelletized lime started at a five point nine in this block, ended at a six point two six. So pretty good. That's a pretty good, you know, uh, increase there. Our ag lime was starting at six point one and uh, ended at six point two. Um, so you can see that there's a pretty good, uh, or sorry, sorry, the initial pH, I looked at it wrong. The initial pH for all of the starting was 5.2. The the pelletized lime ending was 6.2, so that's a 10-point increase. The ag lime was a 6.2, which is a 10-point increase. You're better off not applying anything than you are applying this liquid stuff, according to the research results that we got. So you started with a 5.2 on all of them. Your check at the end was 5.1. Your liquid was 4.98. Pelletized lime at the end was 6.2. Your ag lime was 6.2. Yep. And so Very. that's our that's our results. And so if you you know I still go ahead. I was just gonna say I still get questions about that. Yeah. Yes, what I like about extension though is we're not selling a product and it's unbiased research-based information and recommendations and uh but folks you know there's all kinds of products out there but you know 
are they are they uh, credible information to back that claim up? And mm -hmm. we, we've all seen kind of the, the products come and go over the years from from different companies about I don't know anything from soil conditioners to uh, you know that it, it will boost your organic matter to it will improve the efficiency of your fertilizer uptake, uh, but there's not hardly any research being done on those and there's it's like everything else you can kind of claim whatever you want to on on advertising but how much of it is actually fact or or mm -hmm. whatever but that's what we deal with lots of times and uh you know the pelletized lime uh it's it comes and goes in popularity uh, but it's pretty much just finely crushed ag lime that's held together with a clay binder and it does act a little faster, but it's just because it's crushed a little finer. It's not anything about the pellet that does it. So just, you know, my advice, just go with the research and the, what's proven. And uh, and that's kind of a good, fine, crushed, high-quality ag lime will, will do the job. Yeah, I always love it whenever somebody comes in and they're like, what do you think about this liquid liming stuff? I'm like, let me just tell you, yeah. <laughs> I've got do research you, that come out of really, our county. Yeah, do you really want to know what I think about that? <laughs> right, or you'll have, or I'll have somebody says, I used this stuff and it, you know, it didn't work. I'm like, yeah, oh. yeah. Soil conditioners, uh, different things. Uh, farmers talk to each other, and they, for whatever reason, they think something has worked really good for them, and it's uh, just the greatest thing. But uh, lots of times, it's you kind of wonder where the uh, wonder where the facts really fall out on some of those things. That's why I like going back to research stuff from extension services that we don't have an agenda. We're not pushing a product or any one company or anything like that. So that's what I think is our biggest uh, help to our, our farmers. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I just, of course, you know, we always try to do our research before we give somebody an answer if we don't know it. Um, mm -hmm. But I just really enjoy being involved with these research projects through, you know, through the university because it, you know, especially if, if it comes from the County that you live in or work in or whatever the, the farmer farms in, you know, if it's from that soil, from that, you know, specific location that I think that kind of clicks with them a little more. It's like, Oh, well maybe they are right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to have something going on in your County. If you can just, not, maybe not necessarily the same thing every year, but different things. But over over time, that really helps the credibility of the information for that mm -hmm. person to see it and to know it came local. One thing I I will mention, uh, y'all was talking about publication stuff earlier. So you know, if if you send your soil samples through UK, um, a lot of times at the bottom of the of the page of the recommendation form that we give out, for instance, if it's calling for any kind of lime, if it needs a pH adjustment. Typically, like I'm looking at one of mine right now, and it, it gives three different um, quarries, you know, that you can get lime from, the, mm -hmm. the three closest ones to our county. And I get a lot of questions sometimes, why are they different? You know, why do why are those numbers different? You know, yep. you might have one that says one and a half ton, well, another one might say two and a half tons. You know, when, when the, the pH, you know, we're trying to get a certain point, why is those recommendations different? Well, that goes back to the RNV uh, value of the different limes. And I want to stress the importance of, of looking at, is there, I don't think it's got a document number on it, right? It's just, you can look that up, 
it's a basically a list of the different quarries in the state that shows the R and V values of each of each quarry. Adam, you yep. might be able to pinpoint where that's at quicker than I can. Yeah, every every quarry in the state of Kentucky has to turn in their R and V percentages to the state, I believe, um, and that is published on a, I think it's a state website, um, but they have to publish that for you to to be able to see that, right? Um, right, and and so yeah, like like you say, just every quarry is going to be different and. The assumed so there's I'm looking at a, a publication that I've got taped on my desk again. <laughs> uh, right, it's a conversion You're table. Write a desk or tape I know. on one of these. Days. I know, right? <laughs> it's a conversion table to bulk lime, and at the bottom it says if your unknown R and V, which is relative neutralizing value, is assumed to be 67. percent So if you don't know, you know, just say if you didn't for some reason get a to- a soil test, um, you would assume that you're the RMV um, is 67%. And so this little conversion table tells you kind of like if you've got, uh, if your recommendation is two tons per acre or whatever, it tells you like how many pounds that you need or whatnot, uh, you know, tons per acre of the lime. But yeah, the, uh, it's definitely, you, you definitely need to, and you can choose, you know, um, different, like just say if you live in whatever county and you should get your soil sample taken somewhere else, you can choose like what quarry you want that to be representative of too. So, um, I yeah, found that all... document. You could actually, uh, if you just Google, uh, university of Kentucky division of regulatory services, uh, that's who uh, puts that document out and yep. it's, uh, um, rock quarry lime reports yep. and they do it twice a year. So there's one out for fall 2023 and spring 2023, both. So, and I think uh, I think at one of our meetings here a while back, we kind of stressed that we would like to see that happen a little bit more often as far as the testing of those quarries, just because, you know, if it you're changes. only doing it, yeah, because if you're waiting, you know, if they're only doing it twice a month or twice a year, sorry, um, you know, that the percentage is going to change within six months, you know, because they're, they're bringing in, they're, you know, they're continuously bringing in more lime uh, to the quarries so that may be different than it was you know a month ago so we, we would like to kind of see that get uh tested you know more often but we'll see you know if we can, can get that to, to happen definitely a, a struggle there with with that sometimes and, and there's so much differences in quarries uh, you know lime is basically uh, uh, what we're after is, is the calcium carbonate and but the percentage of that in the in the limestone rock really varies, and the crush size that different quarries are able to generate really varies. So then, those are the two main factors in your lime quality: the amount of calcium in it and the crush size, the fineness of the particles. And that can be the fineness of the crush can have as much to do as probably more often than than the quality and the amount of the calcium in there. So. It just it kind of pays to know what you're getting, and that that report really helps you identify what you're getting. Yeah. The other I, thing I, I wanted to quickly mention is the AGR of 172. While we're on, still on kind of forage management. That's the weed management in grass pastures, hay fields. It's got all the detail on those chemicals. 
uh, and goes right hand in hand that we we passed out that publication that Huber talked about too that if you really want to dig into a lot of detail on the chemicals uh, that that's got a detailed description of them in there and kind of lots of folks kind of lose track of what's out there and what's available um, but the summertime chemicals I always call them the higher powered chemicals 2,4-D is great right now for buttercup and dandelion and all those things. You can get it while it's young and small. But when you go past that young and small stage and you kind of get into those summer weeds, cucklebur, uh, pigweed, tall ironweed, they're, they're tougher, they're woodier, they're stemmier. And I'm just going to say say this, you're just wasting your money if you're just spraying 2,4-D on those in the summer you got to go with something like Chaparral or Grazon Next or Pasture Guard, something with something besides 2,4-D in it. It still may have some 2,4-D in it, but it'll be kind of an accessory. You you just need to realize that because I see and hear from folks that'll, that'll call and say, I sprayed that with 2,4-D and it didn't do anything to it. And that's, that's why those, those, summer weeds are, are kind of next level i call them and they they require next level chemical up from 24d so just friendly it, reminder on that yeah and also it depends on too the the stage of growth that you're spraying it you know mm -hmm. you you can't expect to kill a mature seeded out <laughs> headed out you know weed um with any kind of chemical really because you know they're they're matured so you know the best stage of growth you know to spray any plant you know any weed is you know whenever it's four to six inches tall it's you know in the early stages of growth it's more susceptible of you know of taking in chemical you know a lot better um, than it is whenever it's you know gets you know 12 inches and in taller depending on what weed you're talking about you know some of them get you know five foot tall like you talking about ironweed um mm -hmm. but that that's something else to kind of think about too is you know the stage of growth and the timing, it goes back to timing again, you know, as whenever you, you go in to, to kind of spray that. Yeah. If you're trying to knock out ironweed and it's done tall, you you probably should just bush hog it down to a small size <laughs> yeah. and then come back in about three weeks yeah. and spray it because mm -hmm. uh, it's done got, done got past you. And then if you tried to spray 2,4-D on it at any size, it's just kind of a, a futile effort. But uh 24D has its place. Mowing has its place. Fertility has its place. Uh, keeping a good stand of desirable forages. All those factors go into having a good forage base and weed control. And just there's not one usually just one easy answer to getting your forages uh, where you want them to be. Uh, it, it takes a multi-step, multi-year approach. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are about to run out of time, gentlemen. Is there any last uh, comments that y'all have got? We we went for about 40 some minutes now. This has been a good a good podcast, a good talk today. We went over, covered a lot of yeah. stuff actually. Thank y'all for not kicking me out of the club. I'm glad. I'm glad you had me back. Yeah, you got a, you got a couple strikes, but we'll we'll, we'll manage. I'm on I'm on thin ice. You may be stuck with us, Kevin. I don't know. No. Yeah, yeah. I don't like anybody else. Yeah. I enjoy, I enjoy it hanging out with you guys on this. This has been a blessing to me. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. We we definitely enjoy it. 
And we do appreciate all of our listeners listening in. And uh, if you enjoy what we talk about, we definitely appreciate you to give us a comment, uh, you know, tell us that you enjoy it, uh, share it with uh, any of your friends that may be interested in the ag topics that we're talking about. And uh, like I said, we definitely appreciate it. And uh, you can catch us again here in a couple of weeks. We'll get this one posted and uh, be looking out for the next one. We appreciate it. Y'all have a good day. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to today's show with Digging Up Ag. We hope you join us back next time as we discuss various agriculture topics. Until then, please write a review and subscribe to our show on the podcast platform of your choice. We'll see you next time.